Good morning. How are we this morning? You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, let's get into the word. Matthew 25, if you have your Bible. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to unpack with you and for you the word of God on this fine morning. So uh, the future, we as human beings are obsessed with the future, are we not? I mean, future planning, future retirement, nest eggs, 401ks, college funds, and stock options, and it starts early. Like, what's one of the questions that we ask uh, little kids all the time? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? That's a cute question when you're five, uh, but then it becomes kind of serious, gets a little serious when you're in middle school. Already we're asking these middle schoolers, like, what are you going to, where's your career? What you, start thinking about it. Start thinking about what you need to do, what you want to do. And then when you get in high school, it gets really intense. It's like, it, what's your major going to be? What college are you going to go to? What career have you chosen? It's like, if you don't know, then everybody's like, what is wrong? Who are your parents, right? Like, what are they do not preparing you for the future? And it becomes all about, we are obsessed with the future, and it continues. We are challenged and encouraged all of the time to think about the future, to plan for the future. Like, what, what's your five-year plan? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 20 years? What do you want your retirement to look like? Here's the thing. You need to, you need to think about what you want to be doing during your retirement, what you want that to look like, what kind of house you want to live in, how much money you want to have, what kind of lifestyle you want to live. Think about all of that and then make a plan to achieve that goal, right? Make a plan to achieve that goal, to get where you want to be by the time you're 65. The future is daunting. And since most things are out of our control. Actually, a better way to say that would be with no things in our control. It becomes a difficult thing to plan for the future. Because we get to the end of that time period, retirement or 10 years or 20 years or whatever it is. And oftentimes we haven't, we haven't accomplished the goal we set forth to accomplish. And that can be devastating. Or worse, we have accomplish the goal we set forth to accomplish, but we find it lacking. Satisfaction and fulfillment just out of our reach. So life goals can be, can be daunting. When you think about suicide, a lot of people, we, we think about young people, right? Like troubled teens or 20-somethings who just never got their life off the ground. But the reality is that Suicide rates are much higher in, in people ages 45 to 64. And if you look at just men, men who are 65 and older are at the highest risk of suicide. Why? Because we are obsessed with the future. And yet the future, many times, the future of this life is out of our control, right? It's difficult. We live in a culture obsessed with the future, future planning, life goals. So today we're going to start a series with that name, Life Goals. It's just going to be three weeks, and we're going to go through Matthew chapter 25, verse by verse. In Matthew chapter 25, we have three teachings from Jesus. Two of them are parables, but all of them kind of serve as a warning. 
A warning about the future, a warning about life goals, a warning about future planning and getting your priorities straight. And so this is Jesus telling his disciples, chapter 24 in Matthew and chapter 25 in Matthew are all about his return, Jesus' return. And so this is Jesus telling his disciples then, and you and me now, how we're supposed to set our lives up in light of his imminent return. What should our life goals be? B. And so he gives us three things, three life goals in Matthew 25 that we're going to cover, one each week. But before I get into that, here's my overall point today. I saw, or in this series, I saw um, Francis Chan use this uh, illustration one time and it sat with me, or stayed with me, stuck with me. So imagine that this rope just goes on forever, like it just circles the globe and goes on and on and on. Uh, over and over and over. It doesn't. It just goes to that. It just goes. It's not magic. It just goes to the wall. But just imagine that it goes on forever. And imagine that this robe represents your existence, the timeline of your existence. You will exist for eternity somewhere, okay, in some state, not like Texas or Illinois, but like a different, like a state of being, okay. And so this is this is eternity. Now imagine that that this little red spot. This little red part on the robe, it represents your life here on earth. This is eternity, millions and millions of years, and on and on and on and on. And this is your life here on earth. Your existence, it had a beginning, right? You haven't eternally existed. You should probably write that down just in case you were wondering. You haven't eternally existed. Only God has. You weren't some spirit floating around looking for a body before you got here. That's not the way it works. Your existence had a beginning. At your conception, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, this began. And so this represents your beginning and it represents your life on earth. And so here's my challenge to you with this Life Goals series. I think many of you, maybe most of you, spend all of your time, resources, money, energy, passions, gifting, everything on this little piece of your existence. You're consumed with it. You are absolutely consumed with it. And so when you think of your life, you think, oh, I wish I could go back to this little tiny spot of my life when I was a young adult or I was a kid or whatever. And then when you think of your future, you're planning towards this tiny little piece of your existence. What really turns out to be about a millisecond in your existence on earth or in your eternal existence, right? And so you're planning for this. Oh, I want, I want this kind of house for that millisecond. And I want this amount of money in my bank account for that millisecond. And I want, I want to travel for that millisecond. And I, I want to do this and that for that millisecond of retirement. And you're going, I'm going to work from here to here. And I'm going to, I'm going to save, 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 save. So I can live this part the way I want. And it's crazy. In light of eternity, it is ludicrous, isn't it? Because the Bible says that this time on earth is absolutely important, but only in so much as it affects eternity. That's the only reason it's important is Because it affects eternity. And so 
We're going, I want this life to be as comfortable as possible, and I want to have as much stuff as possible, and I want to have as much fun as possible, and it's all focused on this life. And it's crazy because we don't even, we don't even know if we'll have this life, right? I mean, we, it's so fleeting. The Bible says it's like a mist here today, to, gone tomorrow. We don't, we don't even know if we'll have this life. We don't even know if we'll be alive tomorrow, Right? And yet many of us live today as if this is all there is. As if there is no eternity after our life on earth. Listen, I've had people in my life question my decisions. Because they couldn't see past this red spot. They'd say things like, why are you moving your family to China to be a missionary? They'd say things like, why are you, how could you possibly take a three-month-old baby to China? they say things like, how could you move away and live away from your family? You need to live next to your, to your parents. You know, they won't be here long. they say things like, why Illinois? <laughs> of all places. Right, I get that one a lot. And they think it's stupid. They think, they think my decisions are stupid because it's going, to affect, it's going to affect this. But I'm going, no, 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 no. What's stupid is living this tiny little life as if this, li- as if this life doesn't exist. That's, that's the epitome of stupid. To live as if there will not be a day where this blip on the map of eternity ends and we face judgment to find out if we invested our life or wasted it. And so Jesus and the Bible are saying this life is important but only in so much as it, as it affects eternity. So many of us are consumed with just this tiny little life with no thought about eternity. And it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely crazy that, that we would refuse to follow God's call on our life because it's going to make this uncomfortable, as if this doesn't exist. What about this? We refuse to follow God's call on our life because we're going to have to move from one comfortable air-conditioned house to another comfortable air-conditioned house in this tiny little life. We refuse to follow God's call to obey Him, to do what He says, because We think it's going to somehow negatively affect this millisecond at the end of this life. If we have it, right? If we have it. It's crazy. So Jesus in Matthew 25 and in other places is is telling us we need to live life as if this life is not all that there is, right? What What if our life goals were less about this life and more about the next like what if our goals weren't focused on this life or even the way that we end this life the last few years of this life if we're blessed enough to see those what if what if that's not what the focus was in Matthew 25 Jesus encourages us to plan for the next for eternity and so we'll he gives us three specific things three specific life goals that we'll go over the next three weeks including today and so If you want to live, do you want to live like eternity matters? If you do, three very practical life goals for you. Here they are. 
get ready. All from Matthew 25. Get ready. Invest wisely. Give generously. Get ready. Invest wisely. Give generously. Life goals from Jesus. Not life goals from Jake. Don't listen to life goals from Jake. Listen to life goals from Jesus. Matthew 25. Get ready. Invest wisely. Give generously. Let's start with the first one. Matthew 25, verse 1. Jesus is going to tell us a parable. And remember, this is about his return. This whole section, Matthew 24 and 25, he's talking about his return. And he's about to go to the cross. About a week from this, the time he says this, he ends up on the cross dying for your sin and for my sin. And so Matthew 25, verse 1, we'll stop and and explain as we go. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So we've got ten young women going to meet the groom, and they're taking lamps. Uh, That's how we translate it, lamps. It's probably more like torches, okay? So they're taking torches. Why are they taking torches? Not so that they can see on the way to the groom. They're not taking torches and lighting them on the way. They're taking torches because they're a part of a wedding ceremony. And so they're going to go to the place that the wedding feast is, wait for the groom to come, and when they can see him coming, they're going to go out and they're going to meet the groom in this procession of light, this ceremonial procession of light, and then escort him into the wedding feast. It's akin to like like a bridal procession that we have now in our our weddings. It's a tradition that means something. And so so that's what's happening, and I'll I'll explain this a little bit more as we go. But verse 2, it says, Jesus says, Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus is drawing lines again, right? Keeps doing this in the Gospels, always drawing lines. Wise and foolish, right and wrong. For me, against me. He's always drawing these lines, right? He does that here. Ten girls. These ten girls may have looked the same from the outside, but they are not the same. Five of them, half of them are foolish, and only half of them are wise. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus uses this same dichotomy of foolish and wise in a different parable. In that parable, he's talking about building houses. And he says, the wise man built his house on the what? The rock. And the, the foolish man built his house on the sand, right? And just like in that parable, there's consequences. In that parable, there's consequences in this parable for the five foolish, five foolish young Women And so, but I want you to miss this. There is a right and a wrong. There is a wise and a foolish. There is a way to do things and a way not to do things that Jesus is talking about. Because when I was talking about eternity just a few minutes ago, and I was talking about your, you know, tendency to live your life for this tiny little blip uh, on on the map of eternity rather than eternity itself. And I was talking about our tendency to live for retirement rather than to live for heaven. Uh, many of you got offended by that. Like inside, like, oh, who are you to tell me what my life goal should be? I'm nobody. But Jesus isn't nobody. Jesus isn't nobody. Some of you are going to leave here today offended by me and Jesus. And my prayer has been that this week this offense would fall away and, and the truth that Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 would stay and 
create something new in your heart. And so there is a right and a wrong. There is a wise and a foolish. Jesus is drawing lines. Look at verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. No oil. Not some oil, not, not enough oil, but no oil. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out. Come out to meet him. Okay, so remember, they're supposed to go meet the, the groom with their torches lit in this procession of light, this ceremonial procession of light, and then escort him into the wedding feast and go in there with him. That's what they're supposed to do. And so they're carrying these torches. They're not lighting them yet. They're not lighting them on the way. They're holding them for when the ceremony begins. And so they're just supposed to go wait for the groom, then light their torches and go out and meet him and walk him into the wedding feast. And so they've got their torches laying next to them, not lit yet. And the the groom is taking longer than they had expected. And so they all kind of fall they all kind of fall asleep, right? And, and when, when we're talking about torches, um, we're talking about basically a, a stick, a pole that, that has rags that are soaked in oil on top of it, okay? Matted down, and then you would light those. But over time, the oil would seep out, right? The, the oil would evaporate. And so you had to, you had to carry oil. And so I, what I want you to understand is that this is not This is not poor preparation by these five foolish. This is not like they had oil, they just didn't have enough because they weren't ready to wait that long. Or they had oil, they just ran out as they used the torches on the way. This is not not poor preparation. This is no preparation. There's no oil. They have no oil. This isn't, oh, they, they just ran out. This is, they have no oil whatsoever. And so each has a each has a torch, and it takes longer than they expect. They're laying next to them. They fall asleep. Then somebody calls out, the, bride, or the bridegroom is here. The groom is here. Get up. Go do your part. They're supposed to stand up, light the torches, and walk out and meet the groom and walk him into the wedding feast in this ceremonial procession of light. Look at verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Trim their lamps just means the same as lit their torches. Okay, same, same phrase in the original language. So five of them are trying to, trying to light their torches, and it's just, it's just not working. Now, have you ever tried to light a fire before? Like tried to start a fire? Maybe you're a dad, and it was like a, a moment of you know, like a, mo- a dad moment, right? And you're supposed to like prove that you still are in touch with your caveman ancestors and you haven't been domesticated. And so you're, you're at the campground and, and you're like, okay, honey, I'm going to get the fire started. And your wife's like, you want some lighter fluid? And you're like, ah, I'm mocking the face of, I scoff at lighter fluid. I laugh in the face of your lighter fluid. Don't even bring it close to me. I'm a man. So you get the kindling and you get the little twigs and you start to work on it and you've probably got a kid standing there, right? And the pressure's on and you're trying to start this fire and it's just not working and your son or daughter's going, 
uh, you can't, what's going on? You're like, just be quiet, all right? And you're about to freak out the first day of camping. It's all on you. You got to start this fire. You start blowing on it because that's what they do on Survivor. You're like, that probably will work. It's not working. It's just little flame and then it goes out. And you're using a lighter. And still you can't get this thing lit. I've, I've been in this situation before, right? And so finally you just go, whatever, and you just douse the thing with a ton of lighter fluid, and you just strike a match and toss it in. Boom! The look on the kids' faces is totally worth the singed eyebrows. (laughs) This is like that, except there's no lighter fluid. The oil has evaporated or seeped out of the rags, and so these five foolish young women are trying with flint to start this torch aflame, but it's not working. It's a little, little flame, but then it goes out. Oh, we got it. No, we didn't. And it just keeps going out. And so they asked the wise girls for some oil. They brought oil. Look at verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will, be, there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer's. And buy for yourselves. And that that sounds a little harsh, but don't miss the point. There's not enough oil. If they start to spread the oil out, this ceremony that they're supposed to take part in and meeting the groom with this procession of light, it won't happen. So the wise girls go, we're not going to have enough oil. Each girl brought, brought enough oil for their torch. Not enough for two torches. So they go, hey, maybe you go find somewhere to buy. That's the best they can come up with. It's midnight, so it's going to be tough, right? To go find somewhere to buy this, but that's all they could come up with. Look at verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the five foolish ones were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door, the door was shut. Remember, this is about, this is about Jesus' return, right? This is about Jesus' return. The groom came when the five foolish girls were off buying oil that they should have brought with them. They should have had with them. The five that were ready met him like they were supposed to, torches aflame, and walked with him into the wedding feast. And really, the parable could end right there, right? That could be the end of the parable, and all of us could infer what happened to the wise or to the foolish young women. They, they weren't able to get, they missed it. They weren't able to get in. But Jesus doesn't leave that up for inference. Look at Verse 11, he says, Afterward, the other virgins, the five foolish ones who didn't have the oil, came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I I do not know you. I do not know you. So the door is not only shut, but it seems to be locked. And they can't get in, and they go, Lord, Lord, open the door. And he goes, "I I don't know you. I don't know. This isn't the only time that he said this in a similar kind of situation. Back to Matthew 7. I mentioned it earlier. Another thing he says in Matthew 7, he tells this. It's this, ter- it's this terrifying passage in Matthew 7. Read it this week. It's a terrifying passage. Jesus is talking about that moment when your blip on the map of eternity ends and you face judgment. He's talking about that moment when the red part of the rope ends and you enter into eternity and you face Jesus. And he says, there are going to be some people on that day who come to me, Jesus, and say, Lord, Lord. 
Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And Jesus says, on that day, when that happens, I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, I never knew you. Talk about a terrifying passage. Anybody been casting out demons this week for Jesus? Seen anybody healed? Been prophesying? Wouldn't you think people who are doing that know Jesus? He goes, there's going to be people who say they did that. Maybe they did do it, but I don't know. I'm not going to know them. I never, I'm going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And in that passage, he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. He says to the foolish girls in Matthew 25, I don't know you. The implication is that if they had known him, if there had been a relationship, they, they would have prepared. If they had known him, they wouldn't have slacked off. They wouldn't have gone, ah, we'll figure out the oil thing later. They would have prepared the oil for the torch so that they were ready for his return, so that they were ready for the groom to show up. But since they didn't, they've proven that they don't know him. He doesn't know them. There's no relationship here. There's often a summary statement at the end of Jesus' parables. Kind of what, what does this mean? What do we take from this? Sometimes it's later in the book that you're reading or the chapter that you're reading because the disciples ask him later about a parable and he explains it. This time in this parable, it's in the parable. It's right at the end. It's verse 13. I love these statements. There's no trick to them. You just read them and you understand most time what, what the uh, parable was saying. So it's verse 13. Jesus ends this parable by saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch therefore, for you know Neither the day nor the hour. And Jesus says this statement a bunch of times. He says it four times in the chapter right before this alone in chapter 24. Let me show you those. Chapter 24, verse 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And then look at verse 42. It says, therefore, stay awake. Jesus says, stay awake. Like, just like he said, watch, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And then look at the next one in Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. Watch, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then look at verse 50 of chapter 24. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. Jesus says this over and over and over again. Uh, beloved, this parable, this parable is not difficult to understand, is it? I gave you a lot of background. I tried to help you understand it. But if you had no Jake to help you, this is not difficult to understand, is it? I mean, the thrust, the, the message of this parable, it's pretty easy. Like, it's about Jesus' return. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's going to show up. Again, return. Nobody knows when. He's going to show up, and we need to be ready for that day. There will be some who look like Christians. These virgins, these young girls at least look like Christians on the outside. 
Half of them, though, were not prepared. Half prepared, torches and oil ready, and half not prepared. They just had torches. They didn't have the oil to light the torches, right? The message in light of Jesus' return, his imminent return at the end of time, it's clear. Make sure you don't miss the party, right? Don't miss the party, Make sure you don't miss it. That's what Jesus is saying. Readiness is the key. Be ready. So in light of eternity, in the light of your, the fact that your life on earth is this tiny little millisecond, this tiny blip on the map of eternity, here's a life goal that you should have. Life goal number one in our series, get ready. Spend everything you have. All the money, all the energy, all your time, all your resources, all your emotions, all your giftings, all your passions. Spend all of it on getting ready for Jesus' return. Get ready for what? Get ready for Jesus' return. He's coming back, beloved. Get ready. Don't be foolish. Don't miss the party. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable, right? You don't have to go to seminary to figure that out. You just read it. You can tell what he's saying with this. But but let let me give you three truths tied to this life goal and from this parable. Okay, three truths. All of them, none of them easy, all of them difficult. You can thank Jesus for that because it's not my parable. It's Jesus's parable. So get ready, truth number one. It doesn't matter how good your torch looks if you can't light it. Doesn't matter how good your torch looks if you can't light it. All ten girls looked the same, but they were not the same. Half of them knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. Half of them didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus goes, I don't know you, right? I don't know you. Five of them. Five of them brought torches, but they didn't bring fire. Five of them brought fire for the groom. All of them were invited by the groom. All of them made the journey to the wedding feast. All of them had torches, but only half of them had what they needed to set that torch aflame for the groom at the appointed Time. Only five of them actually knew him. And then the door was shut to the other five. Beloved, hear the warning. Hear the warning in this text. It is possible, maybe even probable, for you to do life next to Christians often and to spend time in the church often and to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or with the Holy Spirit. To be a stranger to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is possible to have a lamp or a torch that looks really good, that looks really good on the outside and yet it has no oil to keep it burning. It is possible that one day Jesus will have to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. It doesn't matter how you look on the outside. The question is, 
Do you know Jesus? And listen, beloved, I want, to, I want you to understand this. To know Jesus, to really know him, is to give your life to him. Fully and complete. That's what it means to know Jesus. Give your life to him. Surrender your life to him. He's leader and Lord of your life. Do what he says. That, that's what it means to give your life to Jesus, to know Jesus. So it doesn't matter how good your torch looks if you can't light it. Get ready, truth number two. There are things you cannot borrow. There are things you can't borrow. You got to get them for yourself. You got to get them from Jesus. You can't, you can't borrow them from other people. Integrity is one of those things, right? You can't borrow someone's integrity. If you are not who you profess to be in public to others, if you're not who you profess to be, no one can stand in for you. You can't borrow someone's integrity. Beloved, the bridegroom will come. Jesus will come. The fact that your parents knew him isn't going to help you. The fact that your friends knew him isn't going to help you. The fact that you look like a Christian on the outside and you spent some time building on God's house will not help you. That won't help you. There are things you cannot borrow. A relationship with Jesus Christ that would cause you to live for eternity rather than this life. That's one of those things. There are things you can't borrow. Here's get ready truth number three. It is possible to be too late. It is possible to be too late. What a heartbreaking truth. Too late. Man, that's a, that's a terrible verdict, isn't it? When you're already fired, it's too late to say you'll try harder. When the test packet is laid on your desk, it's too late to say you'll start studying. When your kids are already grown, it's too late to model for them what it means to have Christ-centered priorities. At least in the same way that you would when they were in your house. Too late. It's terrible. It's heartbreaking. Listen, never more than when we're talking about eternity. Too late is never more terrible of a verdict than when we're talking about eternity. Beloved, you, your life will end on this earth and you will face Jesus and you will spend eternity Somewhere, it, it's possible to, to be too late. It's possible to miss it. That's why, that's why you got to get ready. That's why Jesus says, watch, therefore. Stay awake because you don't know when that's going to happen. Get ready. You're going to spend eternity somewhere in some state, either with Christ or without him, either in joy and peace or in torment and pain and it's possible to be too late that's why you got to get ready so what are your life goals maybe a better way to ask that is are you planning for this life or the next are you planning for this life on earth only or are you planning for eternity what are 
What are your life goals? Jesus is coming back. Get ready. How, how do you do that? You pray right now. You pray. You say, God, I need you to save me. Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to make me new. I want to live for you. Then you surrender your life to him completely. All of your dreams, all of your plans, all of your aspirations, all of your life. You, you give him everything. All the non-negotiables. All the bitterness that's holding you back. You give Jesus everything. That's what you have to do. You surrender your life over to Jesus. And then you pick up your torch. You light it with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And you go out and you start living for Jesus, shining that light brightly. Beloved, once you give your life to Jesus, once you surrender to him, this life, the red part on that rope, this existence on earth, it really becomes just a, just a journey towards Jesus. Shining your light brightly so that others can see him coming. I mean, that's it, right? After you give your life to Jesus, you surrender to him. The whole thing is just journeying towards him. Shining that light brightly so that others can see him coming. So get ready. Life goal number one. You want to you live for eternity? You want to live not just for this life, but for the next? Matthew 25, Jesus goes, Watch therefore, for you know not the day or the hour. Get ready. At all of our campuses, Washington, Germantown, online, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, thank you for your word that is both timeless and timely, timeless in the sense that it never changes, and timely in the sense that it always changes us. God, I pray as always that whatever is of me today would be quickly forgotten, but whatever is of you would haunt us, stick with us, change us, would, like seed, find in the hearts of many good soil. I pray that it would take root, that it would eventually, maybe even soon, it would bear fruit. Oh, Jesus, my heart, my desire is that we, as your children, would spend our lives getting ready for your return. Lighting up the way so that others can see you. Preparing, doing what you've called us to do. Making disciples. Surrendering all to you. That's my prayer, that we would be a people who are consumed, not with the future on earth that we have, that's so fleeting and so fickle, we don't even know if we're going to have it, but rather we would spend our lives preparing for that future with you, for your return. As we continue in an attitude of prayer with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, maybe you're in this room today or watching online and, and you'd say, yeah, I've, I've kind of been playing the game. I, I look good on the outside. I'm, I'm, one, of the, I'm one of the virgins, one of the, the young women who's, who's there at the, the wedding feast. I've got a torch, but 
oh man, I'm just following the other girls and I don't really know. I don't really have the oil. I don't really, I'm not really, haven't really given my life over to this thing. I just, I just hang out with Jesus followers. I just go to church. I've got a good looking outside, but I'm not sure that my torch, I'm not sure that I could, I could light it up. I'm not doing what God has called me to do. I'm, I'm really just living life for myself and this life on earth. I don't have oil for my torch. If that's you, I want to invite you into a decision moment right now. I want to invite you to give your life over to Jesus completely. To stop playing the game. To stake a flag right here today. Say, this day, from this day forward, it's for real. From this day forward, I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for his return. I want my priorities to run through the filter of the scriptures. To run through the filter of, does this get me ready for Jesus' return and others ready for Jesus' return or does it not? So I want to invite you right now, once and for all, to pray a prayer. To pray and say, Jesus, help me surrender to you completely. Maybe you've tried before, maybe maybe not. Maybe you come to church and that's really all you do. But pray and say, God, make me new. Make me different. Make me like you, Jesus. Help me to be prepared. Give me the oil of your Holy Spirit to guide me, to light my path, to lead me. Just surrender your life to him. Maybe you're in here and you're not even playing the game. You came to maybe see someone get baptized or you came to, because somebody invited you or you're a person who comes almost every week because your family comes. Your wife wants you to, your husband wants you to, but you're not playing the game. You're, you leave this place and you live for yourself. You live for your own goals. You live for this life, not the next. You've never given your life to Christ and that's easy for you to admit. But today the Holy Spirit is convicting you and through this parable of Jesus you're going oh man I don't want to be unprepared I, I, I want to I spend eternity in heaven I want to I be made new I want to I make this life count I don't want it to be for nothing maybe that's the beginning maybe that's the beginning of you stepping into a faith in Jesus Christ believing that he not just real, but he came and he died on a cross, gave himself up for you so that you could live with him and live for him in this life and in the next. Maybe today's the day, the beginning of that, where you go, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, I want to give you a moment to make that decision, to pray in your heart, in your mind, Jesus, I surrender to you. I give my life to you. Let me be one who is prepared on the day of your return. Let me be one who shines brightly in this life so that others may see you coming. Make me new. Help me live from this day forward for you. As we continue in an attitude of prayer this morning, maybe if that's you, if you want to give your life to Christ, I want to give you a moment. 
You want to give your life to Christ today. Either or, you've been faking it or you haven't, but you're going, yes, today is the day. Maybe it was a testimony from the baptisms, and you're going, yes, I want life change like that. You want to give your life to Jesus once and for all. If that's you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to lift your hand so that I can pray for you. Is there anyone in this room that would say, yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yep, I see that hand. Hold it high. Keep it high. There's hands going up all over the place. Anyone else? Okay, let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray in, in your name that those who have their hands lifted high right now, those bold enough to say, ah, I need to confess. I need to give my life to you completely. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would never, ever, ever be the same after today, that they would get baptized, that they would have a testimony, and Jesus, that you would protect this decision that they're making, that it would be a life-changing thing, that they would leave here on fire for you, shining brightly in a dark world, Holy Spirit, fill them right now. Lead them, guide them, speak to them. Thank you, Jesus, that your word is still true, your gospel still works, your Holy Spirit still transforms lives. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's give the Lord a clap of praise. A bunch of people raise their hands to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's just at the Germantown campus, Washington campus. People raising their hands. I can already feel it, all right? Giving their lives to Jesus today. It's awesome. So here's my prayer for us today. May you prepare for eternity more than you do for college, career, marriage, or retirement. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit and given all the oil you need to shine brightly for Jesus as you journey towards his return. And on that day, may you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than, I never knew you. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. We continue Matthew 25. Read it next week. We continue it in Life Goals series. During this song, we've got, life, we've got prayer people on the side that would love to pray for you. So make sure you go take advantage of that. Um, talk this over with your life group this week. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged into Great Oaks. That's how you get plugged in. You get into a life group. And then my challenge to you is, as it always is, leave here not, dis leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. In other words, pick up your torch. Light that thing on fire with the oil of the Holy Spirit and shine brightly for Jesus outside of these walls. God bless you. We'll see you next week.